Let me ask you another thing. When trouble comes your way, who do you run to? When everything around you is falling apart, what do you do? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I just, this is the craziest, strangest, weirdest, most volatile time I've ever seen in my life. Anybody else with me on that? I mean, I just said, I, I never seen anything like it. I mean, and on top of that, one third of all Americans are either suffering from depression or some sort of anxiety disorder. Suicides are way up. Jobless rates are way up, obviously, because of this COVID mess. Addictions are way up. Tensions are at an all-time high. Man, it's a stressful, frustrating, fearful, heartbreaking time on so many levels, isn't it? And people are living in fear. They don't feel safe. Sometimes I just have to turn the TV off. I can't watch the news anymore. I don't know about you. I, you know, if, if I watch the news late at night, I just lay in bed like this for hours. I'm so stressed out. It's a crazy time, but it's not the only crazy time in history, is it? This too shall pass. But in the meantime, what do we do? Well, I hope I have an encouraging word for you this morning out of Psalm chapter 46. Uh, we're going to get there in a moment. But before we get to Psalm 46, I want to give you a little background. There's three Psalms, uh, 46, 47, and 8, that are written about this particular moment in history where, <laughs> I mean, you talk about stressful. This could have been the most stressful time in the history of the people of Jerusalem because uh, it was 701 B.C., they had a king named King Hezekiah. He was a godly man. But there was another king who had risen to power, the king of Assyria. His name is Sennacherib or Sennacherib or however you're supposed to say it. I always just say Sennacherib because I lived in Georgia for 10 years. But Sennacherib came to power over the people of Assyria, and he was a violent and cruel king, and he was a power-hungry king. And so he was traveling around with his army and just destroying everything in their path. They had taken over and destroyed 46 cities in the nation of Israel. Of course, this is when uh, the people of Israel were divided into two nations, Israel and Judah. And so they had taken out Israel, I mean, just completely wiped out uh, that entire region of Samaria. And now they've come to the kingdom of Judah, where Hezekiah is king. And they are now on the outskirts of Jerusalem, this massive army of Assyrians at the outskirts of Jerusalem. And the army of Judah is no way prepared for this. They are terrified. The people of Jerusalem are terrified. And Sennacherib sends his general out, and they start surrounding the city of Jerusalem, and they start yelling things to the people of, of Jerusalem, things like, you don't need to be listening to your king. Your God can't save you. Your Lord will not rescue you. We've destroyed everybody in our path up to this point, and we're going to destroy you. And by this time tomorrow, you're either going to be dead or you're going to be our slave. So you better surrender to us or you're gone. This kind of rhetoric is going on all day long. And then Sennacherib sends Hezekiah a letter and gives him these threats in writing. And Hezekiah is terrified. He's absolutely just, just frozen in fear. But he's a godly man. And so the first thing he does is the right thing. The Bible says he went into the temple 
and prayed. And you can read the prayer of Hezekiah right there in 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19 where you see this entire story. And of course, he goes to his pastor, Isaiah. Isaiah was a pretty good pastor. He was a pretty powerful prophet. And uh, Isaiah gives them the good news that the Lord is going to defend this city. In fact, when you look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 19, verse 34, he says these words, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. God promises Hezekiah that he will save the city of Jerusalem, but he doesn't tell him how, and he doesn't tell him when. But that night, God does something miraculous. He sends an angel, one angel, and that angel destroys, wipes out, kills 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. And so the next morning, the children of Jerusalem, they wake up expecting this to be their last day, only to discover that Sennacherib has taken him and his survivors, and they've hightailed it out of that region, and all that's left is 185,000 dead Assyrian soldiers. Well, the people of Jerusalem are thrilled, and they're so relieved. And as a result of that moment in history, we have a praise song, Psalm 46. And this song is actually three verses with a chorus that repeats twice. So it's a hymn of praise written by the sons of Korah, those who were uh, part of the, Le- the Levite tribe who were overseeing the, the worship of the temple at that time. And it even states that it was written for uh, somebody named Alamoth to sing, a female vocalist. It was, re- it was written for a, specifically a female vocalist to sing. And so the choir director at that time would have given this song for a female vocalist to lead and the people of Israel and the people of Judah would have sung it as a song of praise. So today, I'm just gonna get through the first five verses uh, I did the, the last four verses in a previous message about three years ago called Keep Calm and Carry On. And so if you'd like to check that out on our uh, archives on our website, you're more than welcome to if you want to do a little study on those last few verses in this chapter. And of course, within those verses is the famous verse, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. But we're not going to get there this morning because there's another phrase in here called in verse four that says there is a river and that's where we're heading today. In In fact, that's what I've entitled this message. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Psalm 46. And let me just read you these first few verses. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. And even though the earth be removed and the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, Selah. We'll get to what that word means in a minute. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. And here's the chorus. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Well, let's just start going through this verse by verse, because I think that the Lord is going to give us an encouraging word today, just to remind us in this crazy time which we're living, that he truly is in control and that he's one who we can trust. Look at the first little phrase. In fact, the first verse gives us three attributes of God. First one, God is our refuge. Uh, He's who we can run to. 
It's in him that we find our shelter and rest. When I was in junior high, we used to have this, uh, we used to have this, little, um, this little sailboat, and we lived in Portland, Oregon, and we would go out there on the Columbia River all the time, and we would attempt to sail our little 19-foot sailboat in these crazy rough waters of the Columbia River. And I remember at times, as a junior higher, my dad was up there fighting those sails, and he, he was doing okay, but we weren't that good at sails, you know, sailors. We just had got kind of novice at this. And so every once in a while, I get a little nervous, and I go into the little bow of that little little boat, and I would just lay down, and there was a little little cushion in there that you could lay on. And I remember just hearing those waves uh, lapping up against the bow of that boat. And it was funny how even in the midst of the rough water, somehow I felt sheltered and I felt safe there. Well, it's the same thing. It's the same picture in God. We we find a, a refuge under the shadow of his wings. Psalm 36 verse 7 says, how precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. So to take refuge in the Lord's means we are now under his protection. We are under his care, his watch. And it also means that, that, that this is where we find rest. So not only do we find rest in God as our refuge, but we also discover then that he is our strength. Look at that next phrase. He is our strength. He will bear your burdens. My brother-in-law, Mike, is sitting right over here, and, and uh, this last weekend, I moved from our rental house into this little cottage that we have out in Goud. I'm now an official resident of Goud, Virginia. In fact, we wanted to call our little property out there, God is Goud. <laughs> but uh, I live out there now, and uh, we've got this little 1,100-square-foot cottage, and it's a cute little thing, but it doesn't hold a whole lot. So we're moving all this furniture, and I had moved all day Thursday with my nephew, and then all day Friday we're moving, and, and Mike finally came over Friday afternoon to kind of help me with the really heavy stuff, because he's very strong. And I remember we picked up this one table, and he grabs the heavy end, and I grab the light end, unintentionally, and uh, he's carrying the bulk of the weight. And in my mind, I didn't say this, but in my mind I kept thinking, man, I sure am glad he grabbed that end of that table, because I am getting tired here. It's like he bore the weight for me of that table. He became my strength. Now, it was my burden because it's my table and I'm having to be the one that moves. But in the process of that, my brother-in-law took the burden for me. And that's what it means when God is our strength. Psalm 55 verse 22, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. First Peter 5, 7, cast all your care upon him for he cares for you. You see, God is strong enough, folks, to handle any problem you've got. And of course, when we seek other things for our refuge or try to operate in our own strength, that's when we get ourselves in trouble. And that's why God will often allow tough times to hit our lives simply to drive us back to him. So now we've seen that he's our refuge, he's our strength, but let's also notice that third attribute in that first verse, and this is it, and this is what it is. He says, and he's a very present help in trouble. Wow, not past, not future, Although he was our help, and although he will be our help, he's a very present help in trouble. That word present really can take on two meanings, can it? It's not just timing, he's there right now, but it's also proximity. He's there right here. So we worship a right now and a right here God for our very here and now problems. God is there, his presence is with us. And that's the very first point of this message. God's presence is with us. And he will never leave us. But here's the second point. We have nothing to fear. Look at verse 2. Therefore, we will not fear. 
Now, this is the resolve we must have as children of God. Even, even with COVID-19 on the increase and, and riots everywhere and racial tension and cultural unrest and political wars and terrorist attacks and, and everything under the sun, we have no reason to fear. Why? Well, because God is our refuge, our strength, and a very present help in trouble. You know, we're told to not fear in the Bible 365 times. Do you think that's any accident? I don't. I think that that's very purposeful on the part of God to remind us every day of our lives, once a day, that we shouldn't fear. Maybe he has it there because God knows how prone we are to wonder, or he knows how weak we are and vulnerable we are. And we get caught in a moment of weakness, and fear comes creeping in, doesn't it? Well, let me give you a little word, and I don't want you to forget this. In the presence of God, there is no room for the child of God to fear anything. And as a child of God, you were always in the presence of God. I could flip that, and it means the same thing. As a child of God, you're always in the presence of God. Therefore, there is no room for the child of God to fear anything. You are under the shadow of his wings. You know, another reason I used to love to sail on that Columbia River Gorge with my dad is simply because I was out there with my dad. And every time as a child I was with my father, I never felt fear. I always felt safe. As a child of God, you can rest assured that the presence of the Holy Father is with you. The Holy Spirit resides within you. He's your comforter. He's your protector. He's your shelter. And until God is through with you, you're invincible. You know who really believed that? Dr. Falwell. I'm, I, I've never been around somebody so fearless as Dr. Falwell was. I don't know if you had the privilege of ever knowing our founding pastor and, of course, the founder of Liberty University, but he was something else. I remember one night I walked into a situation on a Saturday night. It was homecoming weekend, and uh, there was big crowds all around, and, and, and I walked into a homecoming event at the Schilling Center. You remember where the old Schilling Center used to be on campus? Some of you probably do. And I just never seen so many cops around. I mean, we had Lynchburg City cops. We had LUPD cops. We had cops everywhere. And at that time, our chief of police was Randy Smith. And I walked up to him and I said, hey, Randy, um, what's going on? He goes, well, we've had an unusual amount of death threats on Dr. Falwell's life this week. And so the next morning, I'm sitting in the green room on Sunday morning, and, uh, and I'm back, back in the green room with Dr. Falwell, and it's just me and him. And I said, hey, Dr. Falwell, did those death threats ever make you nervous? And what had happened is he had made a statement in an interview that week that really ticked a bunch of people off. And, uh, of course, he was always so kind in these interviews and everything. But sometimes he would say things that were fairly controversial. <laughs> and, uh, and this particular thing he had said was very true, but at the same time it made a bunch of people mad. And, uh, and so he had had all these death threats. And so that morning I said, do, do, you ever, do you ever get nervous about all these death threats? And he, he sat back in his chair and he goes, uh, uh, uh. I'm just stirring the pot. <laughs> and I said, oh, man, that's, that's something else right there. Uh, you know, um, here's the thing, Dr. Falwell. I'm not really worried about you, but I'm worried they're going to miss and hit me. That's what I was worried about. <laughs> and he laughed, and then he looked at me, and he got real serious, and he looked me right in the eye, and he said these words, hey, son, you don't have anything to fear. Because until God's through with you, you're invincible. And I thought, wow, man, what a word. And it gave me such confidence to know. Now, he didn't say if I'm stupid, 
You know, it doesn't mean if I go to a 30-story building and jump off that I'm just, that I'm invincible. No. What he means is if you're living inside the will of God, and if you're living for him, and if you're living your life for him, then, then it, until God's through using you, nothing can touch you. Nothing can hurt you. So we have nothing to fear, even though the earth be removed. And the earth was moving this morning in Lynchburg, right? I mean, what a perfect verse for an earthquake morning. How about that? And through the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. It gives us a picture of volcanoes erupting or a mass of land crashing into the sea, which would then cause a tsunami. And look at verse 3. Though its waters roar and be troubled, could, could be mentioning a tsunami or a hurricane. And then though the mountains shake with its swelling, possibly an earthquake. Look, what the writer of the psalm is simply telling us is this. Whatever natural disasters may occur, no matter how terrible they may be, we have no reason to fear. Whatever catastrophe it might be, from cancer to COVID, from tornadoes to terrorist attacks, from pandemics to, to protests, God's presence is with us and we have nothing to fear. Nothing. I like y'all are awake this morning. I like that. And then the word Selah, he says, Selah, that is a cool word. Do you know what it means? It means like a, 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 a measure of rest in a song. It means take a breath right here and just, actually, the real translation is, hey, there, what do you think of that? That's what, he's, that's what the psalmist is saying. Hey, just wait a second. Take, a, take this in. Now, what do you think of that? Selah. And then he moves on. So God's presence is with us. We have nothing to fear. Let me give you a third thing. God's spirit is in us. There is a river, verse 4 says, whose streams shall make glad the city of God and the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. You know, it's interesting how a central theme of the Bible is rivers. And the Bible's bookended with uh, references to rivers. You'll find it in the second chapter of Genesis, right at the beginning of the, of the whole Bible. Second chapter, verse 10, where, uh, where the, the Lord says he put a river out of Eden to water the garden. And from there it parted and became four other rivers. And then you go to the very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, and you discover another river that flows out of the city of God. Look at verse 22, I mean, chapter 22, verse 1 and 2. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, preceding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So it appears as though one day there will be a river that flows from the throne of God in the new Jerusalem. But uh, we're not there yet. And if you go to Jerusalem right now, you'll discover... There ain't no river. They don't have a river thrown to Jerusalem. And so could it be, and I believe he is, that the psalmist here is using a metaphor, a word picture for the city of God. Instead of referencing just a place, he's talking about a people. See, a city is not just buildings, is it? A city is also the people who make up the heart of that city. The people are really what make up the city. And so in verse 4, the psalmist is using this metaphor, and the river is the spirit of God, and the city of God is the people of God, the church, you and me. You see, we are each citizens of this city, but we're also citizens of another community. We're citizens of Lynchburg, but we're also citizens of another community, and it's called the church, the city of God. And the reference to the tabernacle in verse 4 reminds us that the mobility of the church of God is very, very much alive today. That tabernacle, they would travel in the book of Exodus from place to place when they were wandering through the wilderness. And this tabernacle represented where they would, uh, where the presence of God dwelt. All right? 
God's presence dwelt in the tabernacle. But now, as his church, we are dwelling place for the Spirit of God. He uses us to accomplish his will. So as you live and work and move about this community, know that, uh, that not only is the Holy Spirit inside you to comfort you and give you wisdom and to make right choices, but you're also part of a, of a greater force called the church that is moving throughout all of society. The church is God's chosen vessel to bring the hope of Christ to the world. Now, let me illustrate it this way. Did you know, I'm sorry, I'm too excited today. I can't sit down. Did you know that there is a river in the ocean? There is. And it's actually the largest and the fastest flowing river in the world. So if a drought comes, it never fails. And if a flood comes, it never overflows. This river is so huge that it begins at the southern tip of Florida and it flows all the way into the Arctic Ocean. And its current is more rapid than the Mississippi or the Amazon, and its volume is more than a thousand times greater than all those rivers and the Nile combined. And it flows so far and so fast that literally fishermen in the Arctic region of Norway can pick up tropical breezes and even warm water. Did you know that the water over the Gulf Stream next to Norway, is the, it, it causes the air to be 40 degrees warmer than any other region? 40 degrees. And so these fishermen in Norway can literally pick up driftwood from the Honduras. How cool is that? So they make a hearth out of their, out of, in, their in their frozen little huts up there <laughs> from the mahogany of the Honduras, simply because the phenomenon of the Gulf Stream. And when you see a satellite image of this amazing river, it looks like this. Look at this right here. Do you see all those little circles? All those little circles are results of the Gulf Stream. Now, I don't know if you can go back to the beginning of that little video. Maybe you can, but yeah. Okay, see, this shows where the Gulf Stream begins, right? There's South Florida, and it goes all the way. But then look at the result of all of this that has to do with simply that little beginning over there. Y'all, can you imagine a better picture of the power and the impact of the church of the Lord than that? Look at that. Doesn't that just kind of bring to light what the church of the Lord can do? I mean, yes, it had its humble beginnings in the little town of Bethlehem when Jesus was born. But folks, the light and the truth of the gospel that is within us has been traveling and expanding throughout millions and, and, and millions of people because of people like you. You're the one who has a responsibility and the power and the fire to share the gospel and the love of Jesus to a lost and dying ocean and sea of people who don't know Christ. And this is the result. Look at that. The power of the gospel, the power of the church of Jesus is amazing. So rivers bring life and rivers bring hope. And the ultimate hope is found in the life-giving love of Jesus. So it begs the question, do you know him today? Do you know Jesus? Oh. In John chapter 4, Jesus approaches a woman at the well. She was a Samaritan woman. Jesus was a Jew. Samaritans hated the Jews. And here he is in this conversation. And the conversation goes from talking about her personal life to the issue of worship. And then he looks at her and, he's, and he gives her this word right here. Whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst. But the water that I give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. If you don't know Christ, let me tell you, He's the only hope you've got. Ask him into your life today. If you're watching online, please 
don't, don't turn this program off until you've, you've surrendered your life to Christ because he's the only one who can give you hope. And his presence will go with you. And he will give you no reason to fear because you can trust in him now. Right? And his spirit will live within you so that you can live and move and breathe in a whole different way with hope that's for eternity. And then when this life is over, we have an eternal life in heaven. Folks, it doesn't get any better than this. I mean, Jesus really is the reason we can live boldly and confidently in this world. So we have, uh, we, we have the presence of God that's with us. Therefore, we have nothing to fear. We have God's spirit in us. Therefore, we have nothing to flee. And I'll close with this little point right here. God is in her midst, the Bible says in verse 5. The her, of course, is the church of the Lord. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. Folks, this should give us the utmost confidence today and every day. God is always there. He's always on time. And though it may seem dark and lonely and desperate, God will always give us hope and help at the break of dawn. He's in our midst as we move throughout our workplace. He's in our midst as we deal with our family and in our neighborhood. And you have the awesome privilege of being part of this incredible river of grace that flows through the fiber of our culture. You have nothing to fear and no reason to flee because you're part of his church, his mighty river. You are a child of the city of God. Nothing can come against us without the express approval of God Almighty. And the one who reigns forever is always by my side. We sang those words a few moments ago. Nothing can take you out of his hands because you're sealed there forever. You're protected by the power of God. You are bought with the blood of his son. You are blessed by the presence of his spirit. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is not just surviving at this period of time. We're actually thriving more than ever. More people are attending and watching worship services in this nation than ever before. You know why? Because we're built on a rock and we're held by the rock, the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ himself. So if God be for us, say it with me, who can be against us? The gates of hell itself cannot prevail against God's church. Can we give him glory for that? I mean, come on. There's a river, and you're part of it. And it's flowing powerfully through this land. So take heart. You have nothing to flee. Now, I got two more verses to go, but we're out of time. So let me just skip to the end. Did you know that in 1527, there was another pandemic going on in this world, except it was just a tad bit worse than COVID-19? COVID-19 is bad. Trust me, I had it for three weeks. I can tell you the personal testimony. But the survival rate of COVID-19 is 99.74%. Okay? 99.74%. So if you get it, I wouldn't get too freaked out. There's a good chance you're going to survive. In fact, there's only 0.24% chance that you're going to die. So that's good news. But back in 1527, there was another little pandemic called the bubonic plague. The black plague, they called it. Wiped out 60% of Europe's population. Life expectancy for the bubonic plague was not 99.74%. You know what it was? Seven days. You get that? You're done. And in the midst of this, there was a man by the name of Martin Luther who lived in this little community called Wittenberg, Germany. We would say Wittenberg, but they pronounce their W's as V, so I'm going to be proper and say Wittenberg, Germany. And he's the local priest in that community, but he's also a professor at the local college. And he is, is, is doing his work as part of the Reformation, literally changing the world, literally because of this one man, Martin Luther. But in the midst of all that, this bubonic plague hits Wittenberg. And they really urged him to leave town, but 
He chose with his wife and his kids to stay in town and to minister to the sick and to the dying. Almost lost his son as a result of it and almost lost his own life as a result of it because of the stress that was so overwhelming. And in those moments of fear, in those really, really difficult moments, you know what he would do? He would look at his buddy, Philip Melanchthon and say, Philip, come on now, let's sing the 46th Psalm. And they would sing these words together. A sure stronghold our God is he, a timely shield and weapon, our helper he will be and set us free from every ill can happen. Hmm. He drew great strength from this psalm. And I believe we can great, draw great strength and encouragement from this psalm as well. We can meditate on it. We can marinate in it. And let the words of this psalm speak deep into our soul until we, the fear in our heart disappears. And we're able to float freely and boldly in the river of God's presence and power his mercy, and his grace. Folks, don't forget, God's presence is with us. Therefore, we have nothing to fear. God's spirit is within us, so we have nothing to flee. So as we close this service today, I've asked the band if they would come and help me do something. Because you see, Martin Luther, his favorite psalm was Psalm 46. And one day he decided he would just write a paraphrase of this psalm and turn it into, at that point, a modern day hymn. Well, it's an ancient hymn to us now, 500 years later, but the words are still every bit as powerful. This is the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And maybe you haven't sung this song in many, many years. I don't know. Or maybe you've sung it a lot, but you really never paid much attention to the words. Well, with this thought in mind, God's presence is with us, we don't need to fear. God's spirit is within us. We have nothing to flee. I want to ask you now to stand. And I want you to, with boldness and confidence, sing the words of the 46th Psalm that Martin Luther so powerfully translated for us and paraphrased for us in this old hymn. And as we close today with this hymn, I just want you to know you can live with confidence in a crazy, crazy world, a COVID world, simply because we worship a God who is our refuge, our strength, and he is a very present help in times of trouble. Can we sing it together? Sing together now. A mighty fortress is our
thank you for joining with us together today as we see what it is that God has done for us all. And today, if you've made a decision for Christ, or if you would like to talk further about what it is that God has done for you in the giving of His Son, Jesus, I would encourage you to email me at the address that is on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. We would love to connect with you to help you begin a brand new journey with Christ. If you would like to help contribute to our ministry as we take this message of the gospel around the world, go to the link on the screen today and help us help others with an amazing message of God's love.